Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Giant Pod with me, Andy Rintmore. My guest this week is musician, comedian, actress and all-rounder talent Jordan Gray. Had a really, really great freewheeling chat. We talked about anything and everything, basically. Heavy metal, we talked about being in bands, uh, we talked about the uh, trans- her transition from male to female, subsequently becoming the first transgender contestant on The Voice UK. We talk about her mentor on The Voice, Paloma Faith, and their relationship. We talk about the transition after that from from music into comedy and how the you know you're going on the same stages physically but what you're doing mentally emotionally philosophically is kind of different and we sort of investigate that a little bit we talk about her comedy central series transaction uh we talk about uh acting and 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 all kinds of things it's really really great chat um really 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 enjoyed it I think you guys are going to love it. There's a cheeky Essex accent in here all the way through, and we do love an Essex accent here at the Giant Pod. Um, Yeah, this is great. This is Jordan Gray on the Giant Pod. Hope you guys enjoy it. So I tried my best to do uh, as much research as I can uh, on you, just so that because part of the, the the pod is that you know I have to be curious and yeah. I have to be able to ask yeah. questions. And I've done interviews before where I'm asking questions and I know what the bloody answer is to every yeah. question. And there's there's an art to that because you can steer them in the in the way that they want to be steered to get the information over, and you can steer them towards expanding on an answer that you heard them give elsewhere or whatever. Yeah. But with this, that was more of a radio-y thing, so it had to be like really punchy and precise. But with this, this is way more sort of conversational. Um, so basically what I do is I just watch a lot of YouTube videos, and I was trying yeah. to find a lot of your stand-up stuff because that's some of the stuff I'm, I'm most interested in. I couldn't find a lot of stand-up stuff. Is there uh, – do you sort of like keep it off of YouTube or – not for any specific reason. There's not a lot on there, but there is a there's a lot floating about. But it's more used. I use it for like um, show reel type stuff for TV. I'll ha- happily send you some if you are interested. But a lot of it, I get um, I get news about halfway through, so it's not YouTube friendly. <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's usually me on the piano, nude, just jumping about like an idiot. Right. Um, and that will maybe happen sometimes one or one and a half minutes in. So it's not even worth having that first <laughs> one and a half <laughs> minutes on YouTube. Right. Um, they're not all like that, obviously. Like, uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll get some more up soon. I've, I've started doing more TV and less live, which is a shame. Live is my, my jam. Right. The live stuff. Yeah, I did see some of the, uh, I just watched episode one of the, is the show called Tall Dark Friend? Oh, so that's a little pilot we made, yeah. Yeah. Show, uh, my stage name was Tall Dark Friend for 10 years when I did music. Yeah. And then we just did a comedy pilot and someone said, call it that, because it's like full circle. Right. And then out of that, we got the Comedy Central show, um, Transaction. Right. Which is, uh, it's sort of similar, but we work in a supermarket instead of uh, comedians in a pub. I did see some bits of that. And yeah, I've, I've like I said, I've tried to do some of my research, but... Um, I'm a, I'm a town councillor where I'm from, and I'm also the, the deputy mayor of the town. And I've had quite a lot of um, deputy mary uh, council things, like lots of phone calls recently. And I've been trying yeah. trying to research, and I've also been like, I've been sort of torn between two uh, 
two big responsibilities. So if what I what tier are you in? Uh, we are in um, we are a town council. So we're the oh, okay. um, as a Tory once said to me when I was out leafleting, he said, "Oh, the lower tier." Ooh. <laughs> I was like, "All right, mate, fuck off." Um, <laughs> So yeah, so it's uh, you know no one's dying as a result of our decisions, but this is still important. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was just doing. I was just on. The, I was just trying to watch your uh, YouTube channel, and like someone's ringing me and stuff. But yeah. So how do we how do we start this? Because I try and get a sort of like a biographical um, feeling. Um, so where does it begin for you? Um, okay. In the, in the just- womb, obviously. That was, yeah, precursor to my existence was conception. <laughs> and I imagine that doesn't set me aside, particularly for most people. Um, I, yeah, I come out as a boy <laughs> out of the womb. <laughs> and then I'd done, uh, school was all right. Then uh, 10 years of music, really great, really had a great, lovely time. That culminated in some reality TV, did voice, and a really, stu- like, a couple of really stupid reality TV shows. And then uh, I trans, uh, no, so I transitioned before the voice into a lady done the voice that was all right I had a boob job on tv and then I uh decided I brought out a single and it was rubbish and then I decided to move into comedy because it was really expensive it wasn't it doesn't sound bad it just sounds really boring the, the single um and it was really expensive I thought I don't want to do that again so now comedy since then and comedy has led to tv and now I'm a screenwriter uh, for tv and film so I'm very very lucky that's all come about in the last six months amazing so you're sort of like a polymath then so you just sort of like succeed in in a in various uh creative outlets to a fairly high standard I guess I like that word a lot and I was as a kid I wanted to be but I imagine if I turned my hand to baking or running I would not do very well so <laughs> there's there's a guy right there's a guy in the um the Tiger King I don't know why I'm obsessed with the Tiger King but he says when they introduce him he goes uh, I've, I've run strip clubs, I've run bars, you name it, I've done it. And I was like, that's the same thing. That's not well, it, postman, yeah. like astronaut. He done none of those things. So yeah, I could do I could do things that involve writing stuff. I think comedy and music are quite similar. To be fair, it's just one you get a quicker reaction than the other. Laugh, mm. Like laughter should be happening once every sort of seven seconds, but. You only really get a reaction after three and a half minutes of music like that. That's when they go, "Oh yeah, now now we're done." <laughs> so you want that? Um, you want that instant gratification? Yeah, man. Ain't no delayed. It's, that's from reality TV because you walk in and everyone's like, "You're amazing, well done," just for looking like you. And then, then when that goes away, it gets very difficult. So yeah, um, it's also a quicker way to people's uh, hearts, isn't it? Like. Uh, you can change someone's opinion with a laugh. Yeah. But if I walk in and the people are not sure what they're looking at, even like get people that are not sure what, how they should think of me or refer to me, but then I make them laugh. They go, Oh, fair play. I could have a pint with her, him, her, whatever. Like, don't do it near me. But like they, it just wins people over a lot quicker, yeah. which is nice. Like, but music is, is about taste in it. It is. And do you find yourself seeking, have you always seeked attention or, um, dare I say, validation in, in some way? Because comedy is... It, comedians are a very interesting breed, aren't they? And it's not yeah. very it's not very often that you do get... It's very common that you get um, someone who is a great um, singer, maybe plays a great piano, or they're a great musician. Uh, then you, and then they can also be um, a very good actor, 
and write a book, let's say, and they can be really good at those three things or different elements of the, the entertainment in this industry. But to yeah. then get someone who's a really fucking ripping stand-up comedian as well, that is just so much rarer because it's its, its own beast, isn't it, compared to the other yeah. things? there's transferable skills but you're absolutely right there yeah there's a there is a big divide and i think it's to do with self-awareness right. like the more self-aware you become like i can't sing love songs anymore because they feel iron like ironic jokes whereas before i was bang into it and i was like writing songs to inspire the feeling of love now i sing them and i feel in my mind like where's the punchline coming because that's what it's all about and surely nobody believes all this crap this love crap but yeah. they do and it's because you're in a, a different sphere not a higher sphere it's just a separate and it's it does make you feel separate from other people and then what that of course does is bring you much closer to other comedians you you feel i was saying to rich wilson last night you feel like a bunch of broken toys but that's nice in a way like we're all like interchanged parts like uh the broken toys out of toy story we're all just sharing each other's limbs and that is <laughs> nice yeah. and what's the what is it like? Because I'm a musician myself. I, I'm a. Um... I just listened to some of your stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Oh really? Oh nice. Very, very Thank cool. you very much. Yeah. yeah. So I. So it's. You know what it's like to be on a scene of musicians to tour to be around uh, other bands who are also ambitious and trying to to make something of of what they do, and that's one vibe. And there there is obviously this competitiveness and. I think in the early years, like when you're teenagers and stuff, there might even be a bit of sort of like interscene jealousy, I think. But I, I like to think as we get older, it becomes more about sort of mutual respect and, and admiring what the, the flavours that the other bands have that maybe you don't, and that's fine. Um, but how is the how is the musician scene um, different or the same to, to sort of groups of comedians? I imagine comedians are far more brutal. This, that's the best thing I swear about comedy is you are the jealousy, which is a natural human instinct, is not uh, shamed and made implicit. It's it, it's celebrated because we're like, oh, can we swear on the show? Yeah, do what you want. So we. Well, you just you just see somebody do well, and you're like, fuck you for being so much better than me. <laughs> but you'll say it to their face instead of internalizing. So there's no guilt and shame. It's just like like roasting each other is an absolute joy. Right. Um, because I swear when you roast someone, it's it's saying you know them on such a deep level that you can say the worst, most kind thing about them. And it becomes like a compliment, like, because it says, I know you. If, you, if, if you're roasting a stranger, you can only pick up on superficial stuff. But like if someone's roasting me, uh, yeah, they go to that core of like uh, validation and like other superficiality. I get called Russell Brand a lot. And it's like that same trajectory of like holding fame above everything else. And, you, and only my friends would, would dig into that uh, and only a comedian would because somebody else might think it was too brutal to right. you know go that far you don't have that with music do you You can have an intellectual appreciation yeah but i learned when i done the voice uh there's a thing in the voice called the battle round and i was paired with this amazing singer called theo and we done uh this woman's work by kate bush it's really hard <laughs> it's really like, ah! uh, and he's amazing he, he trills he does the like ah! and i can't do any of that it's not my uh right not my thing and I remember when we were rehearsing we just said to each other openly it was like let's make this really good instead of competing let's just make this incredible um right. let's not hold back let's work on it together and he did this incredible end to the song he just finishes the song <sighs> and I just said to him fuck you you're gonna win <laughs> and I was like 
please keep it in because it's going to be amazing, but you're yeah. going to win. And I hate you that you're going to win, but it's, and that, and we made something amazing. And it's the most talked about thing of the series and like very, very lucky. It's certainly the thing most people watch if they, if they saw me at all, they go, oh, you've done that, this woman's work with that amazing singer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think, yeah, um, getting better through competition is, I mean, that's what the word means. And I, I remember hearing somewhere contest or competition, it's from like the Greek meaning getting better together. Right. Yeah. Like I think competition is super healthy. Um, and it's weird that people pick fat, like like in video games, right? You get all these memes yeah. about like, oh, the PS5 is better or whatever, the Xbox is better. And it's just a bit like, it's a bit lame. But like, I don't want that to go away because at the end of the day you're like team games or team music or team your music scene or whatever and yeah. and the more competition the, the you know the competition drives up uh the quality of 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 the things and darwinism so, isn't it yeah, yeah like creative darwinism do you find there's uh, uh like because obviously with metal or anything on that side i suppose that you can draw a line at a certain point but like alternative that's such an old-fashioned word there's so many like micro genres and mixed genres. Yeah. Do you find that it sort of does become a little bit less? You don't really have a camp for like DJ music, or maybe you do for DJ because people like really right. bang into that. But like I don't know, mathcore people and like Christian deathcore, and like it, there's so many that it, there's not quite as much of a, like a strong camp for it. What do you yeah. find with that? Love- and also, what do you describe your group as? And how much has it changed over the Oh my years? god. Yeah, and so this is this is the part where you end up feeling like super pretentious because yeah, I love you, it. I love all the descriptions. Because you go and it's it's really spinal tap because you go, Oh, I don't really know how to describe <laughs> yeah. it. You know, and you just feel yeah. like the biggest dick. But I don't know how to describe it. When we started, we there was a a, a trend in in hardcore and hardcore punk that basically was that every band was a thrash metal band. And yeah, they, and they were like, <laughs> yeah, and they yeah. were considered a hardcore band. Or every riff they do is a derivative of um, an Alice in Chains song, right? Sure. And then you go, well, this sounds nothing like Black Flag or Minor Threat or um, the Misfits or, or whatever. Yeah. And so when we when we started, we were like, no, we're going to bring it back to the. And this is the other thing: is it bring it back to the roots, man? Yeah, yeah the yeah. roots, right? <laughs> Rootsy hardcore. Um, and and for some reason at the time, um, I'm I'm going to say it. But I'm going to sound a bit arrogant, but I'm going to say it. I think we were one of the most original things in our scene at the time, yeah. at that period of our thing. And that was weird that you could be so original doing something that was essentially forty years old. Yeah, but re reappropriating stuff and doing it with a different attitude. I swear it does come across creatively. Like yeah, where you're coming from. We were. Um, when I was 14, I was in a, a grindcore band called Silent Feedback, right? It was right. It was quite good. Uh, <laughs> that is such I, a 14-year-old band name. Right, I know. I don't know what it means. <laughs> I have no idea what it means. Um, but it was all right. It wasn't like – it was very technical. It was sort of sepulture-ish. Like, I think that's a big claim, but it was, yeah. And I, I was doing, like, that inward – Like, just it's, there's no, e- no effort going in because you're just breathing in quietly. Yeah. But when you close that to a mic, it sounds like really Sounds good. great. Um, yeah, I had a right good time doing that, but uh, I didn't know what it was. And our bassist would, week on week, it, the description of the band would change. Like on MySpace, you'd have to describe your three musical things, whatever it was. And we were like, doom metal, thrash rap, <laughs> like maybe psychobilly or something. And I was like, what are all these things? Yeah. I loved it though. It's a good time. Yeah, I'm, I'm, 
I like to just blanket every everything like that. It's just rock and roll at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, because that's you, nice. It's, it's the ethos. But but then you say, oh, we're a rock and roll band, and people people you know, hear rockabilly. People are yeah. going to think rockabilly or Chuck Berry or something. But um, but yeah. So so, where was your beginning in music? Then was there some sort of um, epiphany? What was the? Do you remember a moment when you're like, you know what, this is for me. This is the one. I won a, a scout badge for singing. <laughs> it's, the only, <laughs> it's the only scout badge I ever got. Um, also, like, it's really weird to think back of being in the scouts instead of in what's the 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 hens, the brown brownies. Obviously, brownies. I didn't get to I didn't get to do all that. I didn't get to sell cookies or whatever. Right? Um, Would you have been but, in the brownies back then if if someone yeah. said it was all right to do that? Yeah, definitely. It's like. Um, We've done everything. Our parents got us to do horse riding. It sounds like we were really rich. We weren't even rich. Like we just did everything for about a week. Did horse riding, like swimming, kickboxing, scouts. Um, I would have definitely done brownies. <clears throat> but I've got that. Uh, I never remembered not singing. And then all through school, I used to do Michael Jackson impersonations. Like uh, in a talent show, I come out and did Billy G. Like moving right. and did all that. And then the, the guitarist of that band, Sound Feedback, he goes. Uh, we started a band. We just wondered if you want to come and do your Michael Jackson shit. Over <laughs> That's how they all start, isn't it? Because that the is. metal kids at school don't know any other metal kids or whatever, and yeah. then they they just you sort of like you rope in people who have like half half an idea of what you you like, and you just try yeah. and make it a whole well, thing. I then found a Lincoln Park album in the library. It was the only thing I've ever taken out of the library. I rented a Lincoln Park album. It's first one. Um, Hybrid Theory. Yeah, I've hybrid three, so yeah. And uh I thought, oh, I like this. I'll rap. Rapping's easy. Like, yeah. so <laughs> we wrote this amazing, like one of the songs. It was <laughs> it was called the 20-minute song. It was three minutes long. I have no idea why it's called the 20-minute song. <laughs> but it was just like everything's changing. My head is rearranging. And I was like, this is so gritty and dark. <laughs> People go- People are really going to like feel this. Um, and so we are wrapped over this grindcore music for a long time until the bassist was like, can you just listen to some like Chrysopsy or something? Just do that. So I did that. Uh, and at the same time, I started a lovely little acoustic band with my friend Ben. It was really lovely and sweet. And I was like, oh, I'm singing again now. There's a discernible melody. And they all went to Hull to study music. Every band member of every band I was in all went. And I didn't, I couldn't play an instrument. Right. So I didn't go. So I quickly was like, oh, shit, I should learn something. So I learned the piano. And that's it. Ten years of solo pop. Done all right. Toured Europe. Loved it. Beautiful. Like seven albums. Six music videos. Just crazy times. I always thought I'd do it for the rest of my life. It's weird now that I'm a comedian because then it was no plan B. Never questioned it. Yeah. I was like that to a degree. Um I was always, my dad was always saying to me, like, yeah, but what's your plan B? And it's like, there is none. Yeah. There is yeah, none cause... because plan A is going to work. And if I make a plan B, um, I'll probably do plan B. And I don't want to, I don't want to take plan B off the fucking table here. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? yeah. Where does politics creep into it for you though? Is that like just circumstantial? Um, How does it come about? There was a bit of a lull in the band's productivity. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was, so I work in a shop and as I'm a, as I'm a big guy in a fairly small town and I work <laughs> in, I work in the That's shop great. in the yeah. center of the, uh, of the town. So you get to know people, right. And people get to know you because they, and they want to align with you because you're massive and you're friendly. So it just works out for them yeah. on the, uh, the Darwinism, uh, scale. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but, um, 
no, I like to have a laugh in there and stuff like that. And so I was just joking about, oh, I know everyone, I'll just be the mayor of Froome. It was just, just, <laughs> just, just fucking shop jokes. That's you know great. I mean? And I, I didn't realise that at the time, I was so ignorant to local politics that we actually have an independent town council. So we okay. had some people that got their heads together um, about 15 or so years ago, and they said, why the fuck is there party politics at a town council level? Why don't we arrange ourselves as an organised set of independent councillors and right. run for these seats so that we can make the decisions on a local level and someone in, the, in a Labour or a Conservative or Lib Dem or even a Green um, seat or par, um, mm. a Green uh, Party member won't have to um, toe the party line and won't have to, like, so let's say there was a majority of uh, a conservative vote and they there's a majority conservative local council, they'd almost be um, uh, reporting back to a head office in London. And so things about the town get decided right. by people who don't fucking live here. And in, in a group of sort of uh, intellectual rebels, let's say, um, nice. got together and and made it happen. And so for the last 15 or so years, Froome has had every seat has been taken and won by landslide, may I add, um, independent councillors. They all nice. sort of work together, yeah. but they're all fucking residents and they all know what's best for Froome or they try to know what's best for Froome. So the shape of it being what it is, that's you you, you might not have no, I gone have got, down that route if it had no, been up. Yeah. Because I could have been bought in as myself, and and you go in under this banner which has a great repu reputation anyway as the independence yeah. for Froome. It's like a non-party thing, but it's a yeah. it's a banner all the same. So anyway, I was joking about this, and I guess I was joking to to members of the council, and they were seeing. I guess they were seeing this sort of young guy who's sort of doing things isn't like them, and they were like saying to me, "Hey, you should do this." Why yeah. don't you come and do this? And I was thinking, because I'm smart enough to know when a door's open for me um, and to and to walk through it, even though I don't know what's on the other side. But if you, sure. know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I love the Bowie interview when he says, you've got to get out of your comfort zone. And he says, when you're in the water and the water's just about here, he yeah. said, then, then you're in a position to do something interesting. And that really stuck with me. Is that, well, if you make one aspect of life familiar you need to move into another aspect and then make that familiar. And that's, that's growth. And that's the, that's the only way I see people growing is to continually challenge yourself. And so I thought, well, all these serious people taking me seriously about this role that I could be the mayor. Yeah. Um, and it did start as a joke. And then it just become this thing where I was like, here is an opportunity to do something completely out of left field. And also there was an aspect of like, you know, wouldn't it be funny to have, you know, a rock and roll mayor? Do you know what yeah. I mean? And that would kind of ruffle... <laughs> a bruise some... elk mayor. Yeah, right. punk. That... <laughs> That's great. And that would sort of ruffle a few feathers and it would be sort of like, you know, and it's been it's been great. It's been a real a real journey. But, um, but yeah, so I don't know where the, the music and the politics thing really, they don't really, they sort of mix only in the fact that I'm, I'm sort of in politics and I've sort of, you know, quite comfortable in a van with, 10 dudes in America somewhere for two weeks. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I missed that aspect of it. I only had a band together for the last couple of years of my solo music career. We are called Tall Dark Friends in the Corridors. And it was only because uh, I'd already had a big like, career in, um, well, a career, if I, because I've only had a, a, done a lot of big reality TV. Yeah. You don't have to worry about bringing people down and booking places. It, that's just there. 
Right. So I was like, well, we don't need to do those little tiny gigs to get better. We'll just do just straight away do big gigs, which is not the best way to do things because then you've not you've not uh it's not that yeah, you've sort of not earned it, but you've also not um gotten used to the the small crowds and it, when you are doing these big shows, it, it doesn't feel special. And we just put so much pressure on that every show had to be bigger than the last and it just fizzled right. sort of quite quickly. Also I decided I wanted to be a comedian, which sort of changes things uh very quickly. Uh yeah, there is something strange in there about jumping from one entire life trajectory yeah. to another. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the it's po- the biggest thing I changed. Like and I've changed from a man to a woman and I going from a music to a comedy was far, by far the biggest change I've made in my life. Right. Yeah. So that's interesting that even even your sort of sense of well, it's not your sense of self because I, I guess you have a very good idea of who you are, but it's 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 letting the world in on that, isn't it? Finally, after a, a, a period of of time, that's um, a nice way of saying it. Yeah, no, I've never heard somebody say it like that before. Um, nice. I I want to talk about that, but I also am aware that it's at some point you're going to be like, well, this isn't all I'm about. <laughs> you know yeah. what it's like I, I don't mind talking about it in the slightest it's, it's, it's lovely to chat with people of, of, of elevated mindset and all that but I would also say we've talked about uh, music and comedy for a good amount of time that's I think you've done a really really good job of like <laughs> yeah we've I've only just remembered I'm transgender just now <laughs> like I've never spoken to somebody about uh, alternative music for this long on a podcast I'm enjoying it very much oh very, no, that's great um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so so what sort of what age do you feel that you you kind of realized that something wasn't would you describe it as something wasn't quite right was there sort of an unsettled feeling in you or were you just like oh, I think you know I think I'm a woman actually you know it's uh it's like a, that miserable feeling that people get I just assumed everyone was really miserable because like when you're little, you're told that everything is Disneyland. It's like everywhere that you don't live is like, we're going to go there. It's going to be amazing. We're going to go to visit the beach. And it's like this sparkly, amazing thing. I thought everywhere was amazing. And I was just really miserable. I thought everyone must feel like this. And then I got to 18. I was like, oh no, everyone isn't miserable. I'm just sad because I'm not myself. I never felt like a girl, just didn't feel like a boy. I felt like an alien. And then about 18, 19, because I was doing quite well with the music, I was able to play with the um, like outfits <laughs> you can play with outfits any age there's it's not a requisite of being 18 <laughs> but I was like oh I'll put a wig on for a music for an album cover for like this electro album cover and I was playing a different character I was like oh shit I'm just like fulfilling my own prophecy like this is not artistic this is just who I'm supposed to be um so then it become very easy bit by bit I didn't do anything about it till I was 24 but right. it's more of a pragmatic decision I'm not got a soul I'm an atheist I don't have a a lady's soul trapped in a man's body. I'm just pragmatically better at being a woman. Um, and I will continue to do so until that changes. Hopefully it won't. Right. Oh, I mean, it's great. I mean, how, how are your, how is your family? Uh, you know, it seems like you've got a pretty cool family and, and open to, you know, with the things you were talking about, horse riding and, and all the, th- all the different activities you said you'd do as a kid. It seems like they're quite, quite an open and, um, life loving bunch yeah yeah, but yeah exactly uh yeah it was all it was fine mum and dad are divorced so that was two separate conversations you know like it's all right uh i said to my mum oh, i think i'm a lady now and she was like oh what kind of woman are you gonna be like, what do you mean what does that mean and i think she had in her mind it was like it, it you get like there's, there's like the spice girls you can pick like one of them <laughs> yeah like vibes and i was like i guess i'll be sort of posh ish I'm not there, am I? Like, let's be honest. But I thought, well, that's who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to wear 
like black cocktail dresses everywhere and smoke a cigarette on at length and that's the kind of woman I'm going to be I'm so not I probably am a bit different than I used to be but I'm a tomboy which probably seems like a bit of a waste of time for most people why I did I even bother <laughs> but I, I wear a peak cap and jeans everywhere I go it's not like I'm just for being in a band you know, I could be I just be in any genre of band just in my in this outfit yeah you could you could be yeah. um you could be in a, a, a grindcore rap band. Yeah, tick. <laughs> I want to do rap again. I brought out one spoken word album. I'm a big fan of Scroobius Pip. Yeah. Um, I brought out one album, and that's how I got into his uh, distraction piece in the first place. It was this song about being transgender in Essex, and it's really hard. Uh, yeah, and then when I was listening to it while well, it was on his show, I was like, oh, no, this is just an impression of Scroobius Pip. <laughs> and he very, very sweetly just ignored that and was like, oh, it's very, yeah, nice, really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I love Scroobius Pip. My, my introduction to him was the video for Thou Shall Not Kill yeah, man, a very long great. time ago. And that whole album is incredible. That letter from God to Man is is great. I think um, about that all the time. Like, thou sh- I'll be shopping for something and like, Thou shalt not buy Nestle products. I'm like, oh yeah, sorry, right, yeah. <laughs> thou shalt not question Stephen Fry. Yeah, that bit when he's like, the Beatles, just the band. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no! <laughs> Give me something more. Yeah. I used to love adding my own verses of like, because he never mentions any solo artists. So right. I'd be like, Michael Jackson, just a man, Johnny <laughs> Cash, just a man. And I was like, in my head, I keep going, keep going. Yeah, it's great. I recently bought that, rebought that album because um, I think I was a bit naughty and got it off the internet back in the day, and it was just some, uh, he wouldn't mind just some horrendous right. quality. But I have it now. I own it. <laughs> Scroobius, if you ever hear this, nice. but, um, yeah. yeah, he's he's great. I haven't really listened to an awful lot of his podcast, but chatting to, to chatting to you, chatting to Whiffin. Um, I was chatting to Susie Gage as well the other day. Oh from, yeah, yeah. Uh, how, uh, Stay white drugs. And just that that story of how that began with those two is, is great. Scroobius just sounds, it sounds like he's definitely got, even though he's got millions of listeners, you know, he's definitely got his ear to the ground still. Gosh, yeah, he's, he's built his empire, but he's not, he's not, he doesn't act like he's in the heady heights of yeah. success. He's just very, yeah, he's very down to earth. But then intelligent people do tend to be, don't they? Because otherwise you just spiral. Yeah. He's incredible. He's a vastly intelligent man. And, but he's not, he didn't point that out. He doesn't like, I'm telling you, like, don't worry, I'm very clever. I'll figure this out. <laughs> it's just, I think when you're that intelligent, things probably just move at a slower pace in your mind anyway. So it's quite, it's quite chilled. Everything's just very laid back to him. Yeah. So you said that you, uh, your, your sort of spoken word thing sounded very much like Scroobius Pip. Um, and you also mentioned that, uh, and you, you reference it in that pilot episode for the, uh, the, the um, tall dark friend. Uh, the Russell Brand thing. Do you find that when you admire a, a someone's direction or what they do, do you find that sort of subconsciously maybe you sort of take on a, a piece of their their vibe? It's That's a great, a- great, great question because it's so it's multifaceted, and it you can. Um, I have this accent because I'm from Grays and Russell Brand's from Tilbury Town, and but we have the same haircut and the same accent, <laughs> and it's so. There's a point where you're like. That's unavoidable, but yeah, of course, it's the um, the trajectory of if you want to be famous, don't hide it. Just talk about it all the time and make that a part of your comedy act. I like that aspect because it's like well, we can't argue with that. Then let's just make this person famous because they <laughs> they they want it and they're ta- and they're not lying about it. Yeah. Um, and I yeah, that Russell is a 
oh, what do they call it? What, same when James Acaster came along, people said that he was, he was a new archetype. It wasn't like anything before, which right. is it's a lie. Uh, it's not a deliberate lie. It's not people are trying to hide something. It's just that everyone is made up of aspects of other people. Russell Brand was trying to be Peter Cook. Um, oh, I you love know, Peter Cook. Yeah, man. Derek yeah. and Clive. Yeah, yeah. It's a. Uh, I love that this that uh, when I was doing music, I thought of myself as uh, like a halfway between a Michael Jackson and a Jeff Buckley. It's a weird thing to say, I know, but also I play piano, so it's not even either of them. So, it, but I ended up sounding like David Gray. Uh, love him. Love David Gray, my uncle. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't mind that Charlie Chaplin. When Charlie Chaplin said, "Nothing is truly original; it's all about stealing," but that's fine. It's like you can't invent a new chord, can you? It's, no. it's quite impossible at this point. And yeah. jokes are comedians. You're talking about stuff that everyone else is experiencing. It's how you experience it. So you didn't make up a new experience. You just you went through your little filter, and yeah. you can only do that by going through a discomfort. You have to be misshapen by the, the stresses in your life, like you said. Like um, you can be outside your comfort zone. Best stuff comes out of uh, uh, tragedy and and pressure for sure. Yeah. It's like you know, it's like the 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 cliche analogy is diamonds, isn't it? You put something under enough pressure and you get diamonds. Absolutely, like I swear with comedy, you can get so tired in a writer's room or writing it. You're like, that's done now. That's that is a joke exists. And if you take the effort to be like, no, let's take a whole day, yeah, just with a mate, so buy a pizza. Let's see if we can make this joke ten percent better. Like it's there's no way to do it, but you're like, if we do, that's the extra magic that yeah. makes people talk about it for the rest of time you know that what makes that episode like the most quotable episode of your tv show or whatever it is um and it's that you've got to be willing to argue with somebody over it you know and get uncomfortable yeah. because that 10 percent could be the difference between something that is memed or put on mugs and t-shirts for the next 20 years yeah. that 10 percent could make you a lot of money Absolutely. And, and it could get you greenlit yeah. for the next season as well um it could be the difference between a commission yeah exactly the yeah. whole the whole thing uh, the, the one I like, the, the expression I like is there's nothing new under the sun. And I think there's a bit yeah. of a comfort in that as well, because you like, it, it almost absolves you of this, this pressure of like, oh, well, there's nothing I can do, which is going to be absolutely the new frontier of this, this particular sort of discipline of what I'm, what I'm in. Yeah. Um, you can just bring you to it and hope and hope that that is good enough that people like it. I guess that's part of the scary thing, isn't it? It's because you're presenting your your yourself. I know you said you don't have a soul, you're an atheist. I, I think I heard you say you're an anti-theist. Um, yeah. And we yeah. should probably talk about Christopher Hitchens in a minute because he's an absolute <laughs> hero of mine. But um, but that is part of it, isn't it? It's you're bringing a part of your yourself out and it, that's yeah. there to be judged. And if you're trying to... One thing that I knew I was doing wrong for a long, I didn't know at the time, but I figured I was doing wrong is trying to retro engineer your legacy in advance. Like you're like, Oh, I'm going to go through a jazz phase in about a year. Then after that, I'm going to do the best. I want people to think, Oh, that's so interesting. She did that. Right. Just do it. Just do what you're doing. And you're right. If you're presenting yourself, it has to be authentic and, and so vulnerable. If you plan that, you're like, no, I, all right, I know every aspect. I want them to think this about me. And then I want other people to think, oh, but maybe it's maybe that's ironic or whatever. Then it's none of it's real. And you're so protected. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't that, do that anymore. Is that self-mythologizing? 
Yes, it absolutely is. When I started writing, I bought, like everyone everyone does, they buy it and they never read it. Uh, Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces, right? Because Dan Harmon of uh, Community and Rick and Morty fame, the writer, creator of that, he talks about it a lot, the hero's journey. And I was reading this book uh, about comparative mythology. It was like, oh, all these people are me. <laughs> like, <laughs> Jesus, it's me. Buddha, it's me. I've got the same story. That's because everyone's got the same bloody story. We all start and we go through troubles and we bring things back. And, uh, yeah, if you try to hold yourself up on a pedestal, it's really hard when you're transgender, though, because everyone's doing it for you. Everyone's holding you up on a pedestal. Like, yeah. you're so brave and amazing. I'm like, maybe I am brave and amazing. <laughs> maybe <laughs> everything I do is incredible just because I showed up. Like, it's really hard to not mythologize yourself when other people are talking about you a lot i tend to within the band i tend to make the most grandiose statements so like we'll we'll do a jam or something and it's it's always meant with the most sort of sarcasm and like i don't actually believe it but maybe i've been doing it so long that my biomedics actually think that i think it but sometimes i'll be (laughs) like this is a this is a future classic guys I love it. I'll be like, this is, well, this is going in the documentary. And this is the theme I always talk about. Yeah, well, when, we, when, when we're talking about this in the documentary, like yeah, yeah. the documentary, you know, like the, the Foo Fighters back and forth or, the, yeah. or whatever. But that's I, – I, so I kind of relate to that in a, in a way because no, I'm, although I'm not um, – that's your, your approach to that sounds slightly – it's quite neurotic, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite controlling and and sort of not leaving anything to chance or you're almost not letting anything come in that could catch you off guard and knock you off your perch, I guess. Oh, that was very much the the vibe when I brought out the last single. It was that I stopped thinking about what I wanted to do because I was like, that's that's irrelevant. It's what people want. Let's make something of what people want. And it just it's an electro dance track. It's there's nothing to it. It's not special. It's like it's whatever it is. Um, thank you to the producers if you're watching it sounds great <laughs> but like, it, nothing special and after that it, all that pretense is gone so now I'm not I've not got that it, like I like the ironic thing I, I talk about on stage I'll talk about how well I'm doing I, I don't think I'm doing amazing but it's funny it's funny that I come on stage and I'll play a little jingle and I'll be like I'm, in, I'm amazing at this look at look at my fingers go on this piano and I'm joking yeah. but I love that there's maybe one person at the back of the room like arrogant bitch i'm like how could you think that somebody could walk on stage play piano and say they're doing good <laughs> like say how well they're doing that's that level of irony i think it weeds out the kind of fans i want to have the right. people that laugh i'm like yeah they they get it anyone yeah. else I'm like, well i'm not going to reach you so. yeah you're in my uh you get me yeah 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 I, yeah we're I, I... talking about christopher hitchens if you want oh go, go yeah. on then i can't i can't help myself <laughs> well i i to be fair i came at this whole atheist thing uh, through Dawkins, man. Dawkins was a rock star to me. I literally almost printed his face on a t-shirt. Right. Um, and then they had that little four horsemen's thing with Chris Hitchens, Sam, Sam Harris, Sam Harris, and Randy as well. Oh, he just died. The amazing Randy, bless him. Oh, did he die? Oh, he just shit. died really recently. Unless that's a horrible hoax, as tends to happen. But no, I think that's just happened. The amazing Randy. Um, yeah, and then that I was introduced to the world of Hitchens. Uh, and nothing about Hitchens has ever tripped me up, like, as, as in nothing. I never disagree with very little. Yeah. But then he went on a little bit of a tirade about how women aren't funny, um, which uh, you, you, you can stand back from and be like, um, I, it's probably as a soundbite, it sounds worse than it is if you dig into what he's actually saying. It's I believe that was taken out of context yeah, slightly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, to my knowledge, his his um, he probably didn't do himself any favors with uh, with that. But to my knowledge, the um, the thought behind that is that men have had to be funny to reproduce, because nice. a lot a lot of women will say uh, um, because let's let's face it, a lot of men aren't that good, great looking, right? I think women are um, objectively more attractive across the board. That was uh, my thinking. That's why I went to all this. That's why you jumped ship. Um, but yeah, yeah. yeah um, and I think basically what he's saying is that in an evolutionary sense, perhaps I'm not a, an evolution um, expert, but perhaps women, women haven't had to develop humor the way that men have over the millennia or whatever uh, yeah. to um, attract a mate. Because it's almost like a crutch, and there's a load of guys out there that are hilarious, um, but they're but ugly, and they've got a you know a decent looking girlfriend, and yeah. and yeah, you know, a lot of women will say, oh, you know, I like a guy that can make me laugh. That's like really really common. So I think what he's saying there is that he's not saying women are incapable of being funny, and then they're not funny. I think what he means is that we've had to practice being funny for thousands of more years than you it's not yeah, been it's not been necessary right yeah. it's not been necessary for you to be funny to uh pass on your genes to the next sort of generation I, I well, think that makes it more meant. palatable yeah, yeah. I, that's that's cool um uh, that's my my whole jam to be fair is evolutionary psychology and that's all dawkins's stuff in it that's his that's his whole vibe yeah um then i think there are definitely predispositions between men and women which is so fascinating because Men and women aren't different species. We're literally the same species. It's it's brain chemistry. So we've actually both got all the same circuits, yeah. but epigenetically, whatever hormone flows through you, they get switched on and off. So any living being is capable of growing up and uh, being funny or or um, hunting <laughs> or, <laughs> or a social connection. But depending on what hormones flowing through, you you get different effects. And I have experienced that in real time. I used to be so much better at finding people's cars. <laughs> like I can't anymore. <laughs> and that sounds like a joke, but it's, it's true. I, my spatial awareness has diminished, but my social uh, nuance and emotional nuance has improved. And I, I don't think that's a placebo. I do think that's epigenetic. Um, wow. And a lot of that comes from Dorky. It's amazing. Gosh, that is fascinating. But we love, um, yeah, we love those those lads. R.I.P. Randy. And I hope, oh, I know Chris, of course. Yeah. Bless him. Wow, I can't believe I forgot about that. <laughs> Bless him. Um, yeah. yeah uh, um, have you seen some of those Dawkins YouTube compilations where he's ha- having to suffer through uh, interviews with, you know, sort of not very clever people? Yeah. And he just sits uh, there and goes, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course That's, not. <laughs> it's great. All those, uh, those videos, they're so overly uh, exaggerated in their titles. It'd be like, yeah. um, I don't know, whatever, Richard Dawkins destroys Christian. I'm like, he's just a nice old man. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, he just said, I, but I believe, I don't think there's a Yahweh or a Thor or a whatever. It's like, yeah, and all the Jordan Pearson ones are the same as well. Yeah. Jordan Pearson destroys transgender heckler. Like, it's just a chat. <laughs> just having a yeah. chat. One of them's not happy about it, but one of they're them still is, alive. Um, one of them is Jordan Pearson dismantles feminism or something. Yeah, that's a bold claim. <laughs> and you go, Jesus Christ, I better watch this. And then you watch yeah. it and you get to the end of it and you go, no, he oh. didn't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, feminism. He sort of agreed with it. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I watched a Christopher Hitchin one before, and you just you start to feel sorry for 
intellectual people people like him at a certain point you're like oh he's just now it's like he's having fun with you now yeah Yeah. we could have just got all this done in the preamble so Mm. we knew that we weren't going to waste our time during the chat yeah he's uh he may be by a thesaurus what he made he told you (laughs) no no, he didn't i wish he told me that i wish i'd spoke to him but um, you young man you need to advance your yeah get a thesaurus if you want to talk to me again um (laughs) Uh, and I literally sat there watching him and I was like, I love this man dearly. Um, but every other word he was saying, I had to pause it and, and Google it. I had to figure out how to spell it, first of all, and then, yeah. <laughs> then Google it. And I was like, I need a thesaurus when I watch this. I mean, it's great. I like, I, I don't, it's nice to be the smartest person in the room, but I think it's really important to not be in most cases. Yeah, there's something really lovely about um as you get older, I think I've become more attracted to like specialists, people that have chosen one thing and gotten really good at it. Yeah. They're fascinating for one, but also you like um, together, you feel like a bit of a Justice League or, or like an Avengers. You're like, yeah, we each have our own thing that we do, and like, yeah. Um, so getting really good at one thing is nice. There's no need to be a jack of all trades or a polymath, as you say. It'd be lovely, it'd be wonderful yeah. to be able. But uh, I think at a core of, but like for example, everything I do, I know there's. There's a core thing about communicating ideas. I'm good at communicating ideas, which wouldn't translate to flying a plane in the slightest. <laughs> like there's things that doesn't translate. So the, yeah, there's usually just one thing you get good at in it. Yeah. What, what would you say is yours if you really have to dig? It's a big question. Oh, but yeah. is there a simple statement of you like actually everything I do requires me to boom, and that's the thing you realise you've been doing since you were a kid? Um, I don't know. I've got ADHD, so when I get into something, I go into that sort of hyper focus thing. Okay, yeah. So with me, a lot of it is like I collect things. I got really into the Grateful Dead a couple of years ago, which on paper I shouldn't fucking like, but in real life is just as close to a religious experience as it gets, really. Yeah. Um, and I spent months, months hunting down the 200-odd official releases, and I spent way too much money on their stuff, and I downloaded it, and I, and I sort of, labeled it all correctly and uh, everything proper proper nice. anorak stuff um, deadheads is dead, that what they call them deadheads deadhead yeah, yeah that's yeah, right nice. but um, i don't know it's um, the the and i go through phases of like one one time i might be really into sort of batman graphic novels for a bit and i've sort of read all the the big ones now so i don't really go back to it that often but sometimes yeah. something will spark my interest in it or um sometimes I get really into watching films and I'm like a bit of a film buff for, for a little bit, but the, the general through Fred is always music and it must be, it must music must decode something between my ears. It must be intercepted by my brain in a way that, yeah. uh, but I, I'm not sure. It's basically, I knew that I couldn't, I, I do the nine to five, but that's, it's never been a, attractive to me. And I always feel like a square peg in a round hole so I guess it's always been anything where I feel like bringing myself to the table um, is going to make it successful. I think that's that. So a podcast or music, because it's yourself, isn't it? Um, radio, things like that. Anything where I feel it's creative and I can sort of just rely on some element of charm <laughs> to yeah, get by. Yeah, that's a nice way to go through life. Yeah. If you've got an uh, in- inexhaustible supply of charm, life is... Life can be, you know, at least 10% easier. Yeah, at least 10% easier. So I was, uh, I'm really interested in that transition uh, from this, so the lives that, you know, the stage live music. 
uh, as you said. How long were you doing music for? 15? Probably about 10 years. 10 years. Um, and I still do comedy music now, but it's very different, mainly right. because the diction has to change. With comedy, you need to get every word for a joke to work, and yeah. music, you can go off on whatever. Now it's sort of pronounced. Right. Uh, yeah, it's, it is a very different experience. So the first so the first night, let's say, you, you, you do your official comedy gig. You walk on the stage. I imagine the first few metres feel very familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the room is very familiar. The, yeah. that, that whole thing, sitting there waiting. and the, there is a, There's a lot of seated people sat to watch, which is different, because, of course, yeah. music can be a standing room in a place like that. Um, I just had a boot job the night before. No, the two, one night before. So I had a night to spare, and then I had the gig. And so I was still bandaged up and everything. Yeah. And I had a dressing gown on, right? And I was so I, – I, I don't know what – I don't take, like – drugs so i don't know what they are but i had a painkiller a tra- tramadol or something like something really yeah. powerful painkiller yeah, sounds about right yeah and um and i thought well i've been wearing this dressing gown all the time since my surgery this is now just going to be a bit of my character that i will continue for the rest of my career i'm going to be <laughs> i'm going to be the kooky comedian that walks on in a dressing gown so yeah come on instantly realized this is really weird because i can't sit down and play my piano there's no safety net exactly. and the silence is just there there's yeah. no i can't fill it with anything i was very lucky it went well and it maybe that's a tramadol but like um from then on up the next gig i did i put on a dressing gown as well to go to that i was like consistently going to do this and it just was really weird and didn't make any sense at all um so okay maybe i need to have more than just a weird outfit to make it in the in the industry as a short answer to your question the, the big difference is that yeah you don't have anything to fall back on because if i was playing piano and it was shit at least something's happening <laughs> at yeah. least there's something <laughs> going on if it's a joke doesn't land you can't feel that silence right like you have to just take it on the chin and it's the same with my with my drums is that, that you have this barrier in front of you there yeah. there is and all i can see because i'm massive and my drum kit isn't a big giant man drum kit <laughs> about that yeah you just like a little warwick davis sink like you just it's got to be at your level isn't it yeah and my throne right my stool is always at the lowest satin as well it's so weird (laughs) why i don't know oh yeah no because so you can be so you're out your legs outside so the the drums feel like yeah (laughs) they're not like down there but yeah but there's so i can see over it all yeah. I can see the crowd. I can look them in the eye. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. there is that. It's that weird. It's not even sub. Well, maybe it's subconscious. But you have, you have some sort of shield, don't you? It's your command center, like like the console in the Matrix, isn't it? You've got. You're there with your screens, and you're that's your world. Your yeah. Drum, your your trill. Um, oh, what they're called? Not trills. Symbols. No, no, not the hardware. The uh, the uh, oh. the musical. Uh, it's because tr- tr- paradiddles. Your little paradiddles. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of the words. You and your paradiddles, you bloody drummers. Yeah. What you like. So, yes, yeah. yeah, so I guess you really sort of, did you feel a bit naked without your piano then, I guess? Yeah, completely. Yeah, maybe that was a self-fulfilling prophecy because then now I do do a lot of naked comedy. Now I literally <laughs> play naked. It, I wonder if I, I wouldn't do that now if I didn't have that initial feeling of like being so, because uh, I just leaned into the vulnerability of it. That's right. the, the best thing about being nude when you're doing a performance is, it is unquestionable. No one can be like, no, no one can see that and think that person's got a slight bit of hesitation or fear. And therefore you're along for the ride. You know, mm. like confidence is so important when you're performing. If someone sees that you're into it, they're like, okay, I'll, I'm on the roller coaster now. This is fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Without the keyboard, very strange. 
didn't know where to put my feet. So I used to do this weird little skip. And now I'm so animated now and I jump around and do quite a lot. And I think that is just filling the the space of like, as a as a musician, I have the keyboard and kick my legs about like Jerry Lee Lewis. Without a keyboard, it's just a mic and me <laughs> kicking my legs about like, like um, oh, what's his name? Faulty Towers. Like I'm doing the weird like, walk out of Faulty Towers. I don't know why I do it. I, I think it's just to fill the, the space. Because, right. you know, if you're a band, you've got the stage as a solo artist. You, how are you going to feel that unless you just commit to just standing there? Yeah. Maybe we should talk about The Voice. So you've you auditioned for The Voice. Uh, I guess you audition. Or does someone come and say, hey, you, know, you should come on The Voice? The latter, definitely. And that's the same with most reality TV shows. So those cues that you see, I can't speak for every single reality show, but they're really more just... Um, for the story it's yeah. those, those shows are all about a story it's a hero's journey from obscurity to fame yeah if somebody just calls you if you've got a lot of numbers on your website and they like your vibe then they ask you to come in for a producer's audition mm-hmm. and then then you the next round is tv and uh you were paired with and how was tv were you already so seasoned at this point that you weren't phased by the tv cameras were you excited by it what was it was it a new excited, world excited very much it's like a video game and I got this thing into my head where I would be happier now if there were cameras all the time because um, then no one can do anything wrong. It's like like I had my surgery filmed on camera, my boob job, and I was like, that way, that surgeon cannot fuck this up because <laughs> it's on TV. <laughs> it's like everyone has to be – everyone has to treat me nice and everyone has to be on their best behaviour. And you see – People, it's a superpower because I don't change when I'm on camera in the slightest. It's just me. But other people do. So it's like, oh, I'm, I'm winning. <laughs> like I get to be the, uh, it, uh, you know, in, in the in the world of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. It's like right. me not going fake when everything else, everyone else is being fake. I look like the special one. <laughs> so that that was a big part of it. Um, maybe that's really arrogant. I don't know. Other people know not everyone is like that in front of a camera. Yeah. Uh, but I'd, I'd done some a little bit of reality TV. I did a dating show, Andy, that I didn't know was a dating show when I showed up. It was called Sing Date. <laughs> you sing over a laptop and you do a duet. And yeah. I was like, I'm a singer. This will be good for my career. And then apparently the, the, so I was a man at this point and the lady would sing with 10 different guys and pick the one she liked the most. And then you go on a date <laughs> in London. Right. And I didn't know about that bit. So <laughs> it turned out I was on a dating show. Uh, what do you think that means in an evolutionary sense because that's oh, such that is such an interesting concept you know yeah. well, who whose whose voice resonates the best with yeah. this particular woman and what does that mean for the um the very primal uh <laughs> you know way that we pick our Gosh, mates imagine, let's say yeah like if that's the way we start doing things, what would we turn into? We'd just be a species of like sopranos. <laughs> I was I was chosen. I was the 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 date and then you won. Day- yeah, I won that life. <laughs> like yeah, that is the height of my success. But the, on that, I think I was probably quite weird on camera. I was very like, I was very bruising. Like, I wanted like to signal that I was like the cool one, and that doesn't right. work. You just look like a dickhead. So getting that out of the way, then yeah, when the voice came along to answer your question, yeah. just, it's just a lot of fun. Very, very easy. Very, very fun. And you got paired with Paloma, and I, um, I haven't seen a lot of the Voice uh, or the series that you you were on. Um, I don't really tend to watch an awful lot of sort of programmed TV. Um, yeah. 
but I have seen a, a few clips and stuff. I've I've heard you talking about Paloma and that she was, you know, I think maybe some of the the judges possibly don't invest in their talent, let's say, or their team in the same way that uh, you think Paloma does. I think that's an interesting one. That's so very true. And it's that it was her first year. And I think maybe she was calibrating still, but she's just a nice person. She champions people. Um, and she's good friends with Pip as well. So that was really nice. First thing she said to me, because I'd emailed to say thank you so much for putting me on your team and everything. <clears throat> and then I said, um, she said, what are you doing in your life? And I was like, well, I just did distraction pieces with Scrooge's Pip. And then she came in and the cameras are rolling and she just, and me and the whole team are there. And she just walks up, she goes, you know, Scroobius Pip. And the director was like, cut. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, oh, sorry, sorry, we'll do that again. She's, um, anyway, yeah, she uh, she took it really seriously. So off camera, we went to dinner and like did, just had a good time. And she stuck me in her last music video as well. That was really nice. Oh, great. That's good. Yeah, it just popped up. I saw her at Glastonbury a few years back. Was it Glastonbury? Yes, it was Glastonbury. Um, and it was, and I've got to be honest, it was one of those ones where you go, oh, I don't know, I don't know, but you're kind of stuck there and you want to see the thing after it. And then, and this happens yeah. quite a lot, actually, is you sort of almost write something off as like a pop act or whatever. And then you sort of stand there and 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 something happens and you go, oh my God, it ends and you go, that was really good. Yeah. So she was incredible. The sex appeal, the stage presence, the energy, um, very cool. the charm, everything. It was. I was just stood there in awe of it. I didn't really know like a lot of the songs, but I was like, what I'm watching is a professional, sculpted, slick, well-oiled industry machine. Yeah. And I, there's a part of me that's like such a student of the game in that regard that I was just, I couldn't help but like just give it up for it. I mean, it was just great. Yeah, that's nice to think of it like that. If it's not your vibe, but you respect the craft that's gone in from so many different people as well. It's like, Absolutely. She's, she's incredible. But of course, everything that goes into that. Yeah, it's a weird thing with old Paloma because she's got that jazzy vibe. And if Amy Winehouse hadn't existed or if like Duffy hadn't been a thing, she would have fit that archetype and she would have soared to universal stardom but amy sort of pipped her to the post there they obviously sound different but yeah. the pop jazz fusion thing that came back happened at that exact time yeah i feel like duffy could have been a little bigger than she was yeah given yeah, yeah. That she had such a, a um such reverence obviously for motown yeah um yeah, yeah. yeah it's great um for yeah my um oh, it's so nice to hear sorry to interrupt you yeah it's really nice to hear it you know, a, a metal drummer for that sentence to come out of their mouth is really nice. <laughs> That's really lovely. Well, I love I love all music. I try to be completely. I studied music for four years, and when I went into it, I was like, "Oh, if it's not metal, it's shit." Yeah. And it's weird because before that, before I was sort of indoctrinated into that, I liked I liked hip hop and I liked other stuff. And yeah. then and then in college, you're like forced to like here's other stuff. And I came out of there for for four years wide open to everything yeah. so now i try i've got some mongolian bloody throat singing next door on cd nice. which i didn't I, I try to collect stuff from real world records okay. um and they're all um that's peter gabriel's label and they've all got um uh you know there's artists from africa or uh, like I said, mongolia yeah. yeah and nice. uh one night i was like i've got this ipod as well that i've like modded i've put like a an sd card in it i've got like 500 okay. gigabytes in this ipod it's, it's right. amazing that's sure. what I listen to when I'm like trying to get to sleep. And I put this album on. I was like, oh, I bought this for a quid on eBay because it's real world. I just give it a go. And it was throat singing. And it was, I had to turn it off. I was like, I can't. Because it was like, <laughs> it was like proper like, yeah, 
Yeah, it was like really, yeah. Oh my god, it was. But it sounded amazing. Buckley like, used to do that sort of thing, like not necessarily on his albums, but yeah, Jeff, he he, he had that physical elasticity that he could do the throat singing stuff. Right. Um, yeah, and I thought that people that that it really treats the throat as a machine. Like people like Bjork, like it, it's a different instrument when she uses it. Yeah. Like there's those shouts are metal shouts. They're just like a sort of squawk, like a beautiful <laughs> squawk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, weird fact, it's a small world. Um, well, I guess it's, I don't know if it's small. My, uh, our singer um, and sick ones just had a job interview to be Paloma's PA, I think. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I th- yeah. Oh, I, th- I love a good time. I th- yeah. But I don't think she got the job. But oh. I think Paloma's going to be checking out some sick ones because apparently she loves she loves a bit of uh, hardcore or something. She's banging to all of it. She used to do such bizarre, like, uh, her live performances were more performance art, alternative psychedelic stuff. And then I think, like she said once, like a label guy just showed up to see her performing in a torture garden and she had all this like fake skin and like was pulling it all off. And they were like, maybe just tone it down a little bit if, if you want to be a pop star. Um, and obviously she does that basically now what she does. But yeah, I imagine there was an era there where she was doing some very punky, punky stuff. She's got, yeah, got a very sophisticated musical palette that I would never be able to comprehend for sure. Right. That's amazing. And so what was the moment when you went, all right, okay, now it's time, I've done music. Because I think it's that 10-year it's that ten year thing with music where I think you put a solid 10 years into um, potentially being broke and putting off life things. Like, I've put off life things to try and do music. Like, I've got no savings. <laughs> i got no kids. I didn't get married. I mean, I'm like, yeah. I'm just always, I've just always been chasing the... The thing, and I believe that you to do that, you actually have to, you know, you have to sacrifice something. Stick to something for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that that stuff's overrated. Unless you want it, then it's great. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. If you want that, then that's great. But uh, and uh, Dave Grohl said something very interesting. He said every band gets to the year to the year seven, and that's when they almost call it a day. There's something about year seven where they go, you know what? Are we fucking are we into this anymore? <laughs> Maybe it's just that thing of it's. That is um, the metric. What's it called? Yeah, the metric is tens, isn't it? Yeah. Metric yeah. system. And, and yeah, so there's something about the metric of a seven that means you you can't be closer to you're, – you, you're still closer to halfway than you are to the end. And yeah. if you go to eight, then you are officially closer to the end of that ten years. So, yeah, the psychology of seven. That's yeah. a great name for a, for a progressive album. <laughs> psychology of seven. So, there's a, so you went, all right, I'm changing. I brought out that single – and I was so in the bubble of yeah. post reality TV that it was like it had to get to top 40 just because the investment that we'd made, otherwise, it was a failure. And it yeah. got to like, like, it got to 114, <laughs> which is one more than David Brent's single gets to in the office. <laughs> Do you ever see the office? <laughs> and that like hit me really hard. Right. Um, but it's not, it's, I think it's a funny story, but it doesn't sound funny. I, I, got dropped from my label the day after they found out it wasn't going to work, which is a horrible thing to happen. Yeah. And I just walked in front of a car. I was walking home and I was like, that's it now. I didn't get to top 40, so I'm just going to walk in front of this car. Um, and it was, it didn't even feel like it would have hurt. It was just like, I've failed, so I'm out of the race. Boom. And nothing happens because it was really far away. <laughs> so like, I thought it was going to hit me and it just grounds this hole. It didn't even beep. And I was like, this is the universe now making me into a joke and i think it's really funny and i want to do that i want to tell jokes this right. is 
I was like, this is so stupidly tragic yeah. that it's it instantly became funny. Um, and yeah, that was like, if I'm going to be a joke, I'll, I want to be in on that joke. And that's it. And I never can't look back. And it's been so good, man. It's like, I, I, I loved music, never speak ill of music, but comedy's my, um, I do that better than. And how do you, how did you begin to craft the stand up routine? Because that's the thing, isn't it? It's such a, this is why I love it so much. So I've got loads of respect for Childish Gambino because he does it. He does it all. Yeah. And he's a stand-up. And Jamie Foxx, he's fucking hilarious. Yeah, um, those guys, they, I'd, like, I'd be quite happy for them to be in charge of everything. And, and the, the craft of it, that's something I've, I've, I've always in my head thought I could do stand-up, but it's about having the balls, isn't it? And I think maybe one day I'll give it a go. But um, I've got notes on my phone, but they're when you come back to them like a year later you're like no nah, that's not funny and no one needs to know this um there's, there's a thing about jokes where sometimes you think they're funny and then you realize it is just a sentence there's nothing yeah. there's no joke but if it's true to you then it gets funnier the more confident you are about it right some yeah. things just aren't funny except that you brought them up there's yeah. a guy i saw the other day it was so hilarious and he came on he was like jesus is a lot shorter than i thought he was <laughs> <laughs> and it's like but he really was angry about it. And I could come up and say that. And you're like, all right, what's the punchline? But like, yeah. it turns out Jesus is a lot shorter than you think he is. Like, right, go on. That's not funny. But he, it, the fact that he brought it up and he cared yeah. made it funny. So if you think it's funny to you, carry on it. I swear, man, just go for it and somebody will laugh. Yeah, I just, I'm not sure what's, what my, my style would be. It's, uh, there, there's been a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of things. Don't worry about your style in advance. Just do yeah, it and your style, style will come. Same as the music, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, so who were your big influences when you were when you were doing this? Who were the ones where you, you what was your Mount Rushmore where you were like, so my, mine would be something like Bill Hicks, George Carlin. Um, I can't remember now after that. I'm not sure. Uh, Chappelle is great, but he's like the goat, isn't he? Oh, Chappelle is the... He's a master craftsman for sure. Yeah. Um, I love Chappelle, especially because, um, and I, I was banging to Louis C.K. and then I was not allowed to like Louis C.K. anymore. And then now it's sort of all right to like Louis C.K. again. But start, starting with um, separating the artists from their art is really important with comedy, especially because you think of them as the same person. You know, they are their life experiences inform their art. Anyway, um, I love Chappelle the most because he did some transgender stuff that was a little bit off the mark. Mm. And then he came back and he did some stuff that was much better. And a well-crafted transgender joke to me is, is wonderful because we're not supposed to enjoy it. Um, people say, no, you can't talk about that. Laughter is self-policing. If Dave Chappelle can make you laugh about it, that's it. You can't argue with it. And he did some really good stuff about it. So did Louis. Ricky Gervais was huge to me. And he did. Um, he kind of didn't quite hit the mark for that. Uh, Ricky Gervais, Russell Brands. I liked uh, I liked Joe Rogan for a bit, not as much anymore. But um, Louis C.K., Maria Bamford, not as much of a comedian. But Kate McKinnon off of um, off SNL, she was the she was the geeky one in the latest Ghostbusters movie. If you saw that? She's not really a, a stand up, but she she's a comedy actress that might as well be a stand up. She's that good, right. yeah. Um, some of the best stand up I've seen recently has actually been uh, female stand ups. Um, really, uh, really knocking out of the park at the moment. I maybe more so than ever. Yeah, yeah. Women took over SNL for like at least the last seven years. They've been in charge of that show, like not not just administratively, but you can just see it on screen. Yeah. Um, like Kristen Wiig, um, and and that lot. But yeah, female stand-ups smashing it at the moment, and female screenwriters screenwriting like Tina Fey, Thirty Rock, 
like oh yeah she's a powerhouse yeah she's incredible um phoebe waller bridge obviously smashing it with the brit she's for fleabag and she's now writing the latest james bond film like yeah it's, it's a this a, it's a lady's time i got i got as i say i got out while the getting was good i've, I've jumped on to <laughs> feminism just as it's getting good again i say what i've been really enjoying about these female comedians as well is um is that you get to, as a as a man, and 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 in this political cli- socio political climate at the moment of twenty twenty, everything is up to for discussion. Everything mm-hmm. is is wide open to be criticised and picked apart and and everything. I find as a man, you can learn so much about yourself or your brethren, let's say, by female comedians and their experiences and the way they translate their their real life experiences onto into something humorous i felt i feel like that is a, such an effective way of of bringing men round to ideas that they might shove off as being oh, feminist yes. or feminazi or something like that and then you hear and they make you laugh with it and then you go actually no that you know i am so lucky i can just walk home from the the pub or whatever at 2 a.m i'm blessed i know i've got a privilege because I'm massive and not, you know, and, and that sort. I never really feel in danger, but um, it's interesting how female comedians can shine a light on the female experience and it be very palatable and accepted by men through humour. Yeah, yeah. It's remember, like we were saying at, at, towards the beginning, that thing of I love being on the front line and being able to make somebody laugh to the point where they will change their, not their political ideals. I think that's too ingrained for most people, but yeah they just relax about certain things and the brain can't take in new information when it's tense it's the same process as um when you are confronted by a threat in nature like a mm. tiger comes up to you your instinct kicks in and you can't learn something new you can't stop and interact with that tiger in any other way than running away and it's yeah same with ideas when an idea challenges your beliefs you, your brain constricts just like it would in front of a tiger and you're like no that's i'm keeping i need to know what i know i need to keep thinking what i'm thinking mm. after instantly relaxes the whole like circulatory system the whole um can't remember the name for the nervous system oh it's the nervous system <laughs> it relaxes, <laughs> relaxes the nervous system and you can you can take in new ideas yeah. so yeah um, women comedians and uh you know any f um bane comedians uh yeah that, that stuff is powerful it is it sneaks, sneaks up on you and how do you know when you've got an idea that's going to sit on, on your notepad or on your notes on your phone or a voice memo or what, however you, you do it? How do you know when that you're like, this is one that's going to get worked on? How, how do you develop an idea? Yeah, if, if it makes you laugh, if it creeps into your head and makes you laugh, then there's something to it. The, the opposite side of that is you work it intellectually because you're forced to, you're like, oh, I need some stuff about ducks or whatever and you're like what's funny about a duck and the way you figure out what's funny about a duck is you take duck you put that in one column and then i don't know ducks walk funny right duck walking and you write down everything you know about walking and everything you know about ducks and when you see some crossover those yeah. are where the jokes from that is the stupidest example please don't anyone that's listening to this think that that's what i do with my like that's my set <laughs> but like that it's um that's the intellectual side of things and something might cause you to chuckle but that's more of a oh that works that really works yeah people are going to get that and they will laugh it's just a natural mechanism you take one thing and you flip it and that makes people laugh but for me if it makes me laugh then it's worth pursuing even like say even like three years later you're reading you're like that wasn't funny if it made you laugh at the time maybe analyze what it was about your life at the time that made 
that, that yeah. made you laugh at that thing because then you might remember why it was funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, have you seen the? Uh, how are you with Jerry Seinfeld? Oh, I love Jerry. Yeah, he's yeah. He's like a I scientist, mean, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a uh, he's the slickest machine of a comedian, yeah. and he is he is our archetype. Like, if you draw a cartoon comedian, it looks like Jerry Seinfeld. It's That's like right. he, he's he turned it into yeah. A, it's psychopathically like uh high quality craftsmanship yeah um and his thing is very simple he just says because things genuinely annoy me and a lot of people say the best comedy just comes from someone who comes from irritability yeah um it's not true of everybody because you've got comedians that are just they're just happy and joyful the whole time and they love everything and that's why they're funny ross noble is just everything's a bit wacky and weird uh russell bretton's well but like yeah, just pointing out what noisy Stuart Lee is of that school. Just he just things just annoy him. Stuart Lee is great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like I had to sort of mature and age to fully um, uh, appreciate Stuart Lee. Actually, it's only recently I've started yeah. watching him, and I've gone, "No, nah, no, I, I know where you're going with this now. I kind of get you now." But um, there's the great Jerry thing where he says he uses a yellow pad, paper mm. pad, and a pen, always yellow uh, lined paper. And he says that he just sits there with an item and he goes, there's something funny about this and I don't know what it is. Yeah. And his best one was fucking Pop-Tarts, right? He yeah. said he sat there for two years. <laughs> so he had, you know, obviously he did things between that. But like, he's, and he worked on this Pop-Tart joke for two years, right? And, and he got to the end and he said, um, and they never go off. Oh, no, I can't remember what the line is now. So they say something like, oh, yeah. and they can never go off because they were never fresh. And that's, yeah, that's it. it. That's, that's it. it. He took two years to get that fucking line. And then he, <laughs> it's crazy. He's obsessed. That's, the, um, that's, it almost makes you think, I wonder if the joke exists independently of human understanding. And it's just, you find it rather than crafting it. It makes you think, do these memes exist? Like memetic ideas just exist in the ether again that's it i don't mean and he's just the bloody conduit for it yeah and it just takes that long to to hone in on signal so uh you got the comedy central uh show gig that was nice yeah transaction six short episodes and we just won the broadcast digital award for best short form which is like a bafta if you round it up (laughs) (laughs) it's it's the biggest thing we could have won in in the whole country like we're really chuffed um and it's me playing a transgender very much typecast transgender uh supermarket employee who is living off of the affirmative action hire like vibe she knows that she's she's been told that she's special because of that but doesn't have the self-awareness to realize that that's why she's been told she's special so she thinks she's amazing and makes it everyone else's problem i love it it's it was joy i got to play um it's a show for everyone. It's not. It's not. It, it doesn't exist in an echo chamber, nor is it very broad. It's not. Right. It's not offensive deliberately for any reason. It's like a. It's a show that I hope is, it, it connects people. I've had people on both sides of the political spectrum saying, "Didn't think I'd like this, but it's all right. <laughs> I'll take that." Yeah. Nice. And how do you? How do you sort of? Because um, again, uh, comedic acting again is another is another discipline all in itself. <laughs> And I feel like you yeah. probably took to that like uh, oh here comes a duck you know duck in water. But like... <laughs> I don't believe you. I was like I wasn't sure where you're going, and I thought you just looked to the side, and he was like oh here comes a bloody duck, like <laughs> Joey and Chandler from Friends. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
yeah it's is what's lovely about tv of course is that it's not it's not the stage so things are cut into tiny little bits so it becomes repetitive if you if you get if you bore very easily then it's yeah you, right. you do the same thing over and over but it's a safety net because you're just capturing moment to moment uh comedy acting yeah the nuance very different you're not broad out on a big stage to a whole crowd of people the camera's like right there so you can have to sell a joke with a twitch of the eyelids or something yeah i was in good company man thomas gray plays opposite me he plays a character called tom which is just coincidence and his second name is gray which is also just coincidence um he was the um he was the the guy you might have seen the video because it went super viral like 10 years ago uh lads night out in london do you ever see that video uh, of the guy returns um, home and it's um uh <laughs> like don't leave me out that guy <laughs> uh, if i saw it i'd probably remember it you might, yeah. yeah he uh i don't know if he hates that i keep bringing this up because he's gone on to do like much more stuff but he's, he's so just so recognizable as that guy he's I can't. I couldn't tell for the first little while if he was real or not, right. which is a great comedy actor. He's he's just lovely, and uh, I, I like same as we we're saying about competition. He's so good. It's nice to have somebody to try and like live up to because I wrote it. So it's like, well, I've got to do well now, otherwise it's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, he he made me up my game. Uh, yeah, imagine that sort of like how it goes. You know, if you're in a scene with De Niro, you know, or Pacino. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I wonder if there's that that sort of like how deep you have to dig. I can only do it if I'm if I believe it myself. So if I'm asking somebody a question, I have to ask them like I'm expecting an answer. Like if that's the scene, I have to yeah. ask them like that person is going to give me the answer, even if that's not the next line. So with someone like Pacino, I feel like I should just try and fuck this guy up. Like right. I should try and confuse him because that shows that he. I want him to know that I care about this enough to. Be, re- be real to know i don't deserve that opportunity but i'm sure i'll get it at some point just for being transgender i seem to get given everything i want <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's the joy so that's the advert right there yeah i uh, recommend it if you're thinking way. about about becoming transgender you know that's uh that's the way to go you'll be able to act with pacino you andy <laughs> i recommend it for most people you especially would be able to set records very very quickly as the tallest woman in the world like that that's so you've got that if you if you ever wanted to i'm i also want to point out and i'm sure most people realize so it's probably not even worth pointing out we are being deliberately flippant for the sake of comedy it's really hard work <laughs> changing your gender you probably shouldn't just do it on a whim but yeah. it's funny to think about you as the tallest tallest woman in, in fr- at least in frome surely in frome Froome, sorry. Froome. Have you ever been to Froome? Uh, no, I've been through. I've been through Froome. Right, that's right. Uh, You've been then. Yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah, cool. Right. I, I mean, I. I, <laughs> oh, I Thanks very much. You've, yeah, uh, you've cool. offended my hometown. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Next time you're here, I get the chains on. I'll come out with a town crier. John Gray is here. <laughs> Do you have a drum in the chains? <laughs> Uh, I haven't yet. No, because of COVID, there's been uh, there's been no like real official shit to do. So yeah. I've I've very rarely donned the chains, which is annoying. In a time of a pandemic, you'd think the town crier vibe would be like really up there. Oh, I'm not the town crier. Hell no. Oh no, but, but you still you're still allowed the uh, the bell, right? No, 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 no. I just got the chains. I wouldn't use the bell. No, just, I'm too cool for that. But, yeah, you've um, got you're more the. Uh, Jacob Marley vibes. You've got, you've got the, the jangling as everywhere you go. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, right, I should I probably, we should probably wrap this up because I've taken an hour and 20 minutes of your time. It's been a right laugh, man. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you very fun. much for uh, coming on and agreeing to talk to me. It's been really good. Um, is there anything uh, else you would like to mention or plug before I um, say goodbye? Well, it's obviously lovely if people want to check out the old transaction across Comedy Central UK's social media. And that's... Um, that's Facebook, Instagram, TV, and YouTube. Myself can be found anywhere at Tall Dark Friend. Um, again, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Just, but that's my that's my social media. And uh, I mean, Froom, Froom, check out Froom, guys. Like, <laughs> it's it's where, it's where it's at. Um, it sounds like I'm being rude. Like I'm joking. I mean it. Go check that's out Froom. Uh, the mayor, you'll see him from wherever you are. <laughs> And the music of Sick Ones, I think, is worth checking out. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, I uh, would love to... Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Giant Pod with me, Andy Rintmore. That was my guest, Jordan Gray. If you want to keep up with what they're up to, we will leave a plethora of links in the show note descriptions. So please go and follow them on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the Comedy Central show. Uh, go and listen to some of their music. Uh, get invested. Follow the journey. I am. It's bloody great. Uh, what else is there to say? Oh, leave us a review, like, subscribe. And if you liked this, please just tell one friend. Just copy the link, chuck it to a friend, say, I think you like this one. That one really helps us out. If you want to follow us on social media, you can. The handle for Twitter and Instagram is at the giant pod. If you want to follow me personally on Instagram, it is Andy underscore S1S. This podcast was produced by the omnipresent Harry Williams. Thanks so much for listening again. We will be back next week on the Giant Pod. Thanks.